0: Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is The Hideaway Podcast, episode 14.
1: Catorce. Last night, we saw a circus review at the House of Yes with our favorite gals, Anya and Kay, who we interviewed on our first ever podcast. Yeah,
0: episode three, technically, but first guest. Yeah, and they did this. Hysterical Titanic themed uh, fabric act where uh, Kay was Jack and (laughs) Anya was whatever Kate Winslet's character's name is Rose. Rose. Um, Duh, how could you forget
1: Rose?
0: I'm sorry, I'm not that big of a Titanic fan.
1: I love it so much. But they opened the number with like a (laughs) cardboard Titanic
0: Crashing crashing
1: into an iceberg. And then, you know, Kay was in lady drag. And Or man, what'd you call it, boy drag? I don't
0: know. I don't called. know.
1: And she looked great as Jack, although Josh thought she was a character from Fiddler on the Roof originally. <laughs> and then they did their act and she, you know, as Jack fell into the ocean.
0: But I think one of the things I really like watching last night was there was this girl who did a combination of Bollywood style dance and whacking for those who... Are not familiar with whacking, which I think will be the majority of you. (laughs) It's this kind of dance, which is very similar to voguing, which focuses on swinging your arms, sort of around your head, around your body, in such a way just so quick and so detailed that it's impressive and hilarious. I wish
1: I saved her classes card that she. So that these two women did this bolly whacking dance and it was so cool to see and then afterwards they gave you a card everyone in the audience a card for classes that they teach and part of it was like goal mapping and bolly i don't know it was like a lot of stuff that they oh 20 hours of classes on bolly and goal goal mapping for your life
0: there's also this act that i i enjoyed where this guy who had a weird mask on, the only thing he did in this whole number was he walked out really, really slowly and then pulled out an axe from his pants and just like axed up a chair, just destroyed it on stage for about 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and then walked off. And that was the whole number. Yeah.
1: Kay did introduce it as being very weird. She's like, I think this might be too weird for everyone, but I think you'll enjoy it.
0: I enjoyed it. Kay, I thought good it choice, was- Kay
1: scary not really scary but i was like oh what's he doing because the mask was weird and everything but anyway
0: go see the variety show uh, yeah. every other thursday at the house of yes
1: and they're at 8 p.m doors open at 7 so on today's episode we interviewed christian stoynev, stoynev and he and his dogs are amazing
0: so christian's a circus performer he grew up in the circus including for a period of time big apple circus he doesn't act with his chihuahua. Uh basically it's a handstand act and you know I won't give too much away. We'll put a link to his act yeah. on our on the blog of this. So if you're if you're experiencing or if you're listening to the episode through iTunes or through whatever your podcast player is, hit the info button. You should be able to see a video of of his act, but I really recommend that either before you listen to the interview or afterwards you take a look at it. It's like nothing you've ever seen a handstand act. Mm-hmm. With a chihuahua. But
1: Christian, as Josh said, started in Big Apple Circus when he was little because he was basically born into it. His parents were also circus performers. So his point of view on the circus world and just the world in general is really special and was really interesting for me. And, and I'm assuming it was interesting for you, Josh. I thought
0: it was fascinating. I mean, particularly the part where he talks about what you miss as a kid from being a circus performer kids and the things that you crave in in mm-hmm. quote unquote normal life, right. uh, is, is insightful because things that, mm-hmm. you know, most of us take for granted. Christian also went on to be a finalist in season nine of America's Got Talent and like the top 12. So performed at Rio city a couple times and listening to his story about going through, through that audition process all the way to the, the final round is really a cool, exciting journey.
1: And hearing him talk about how he trains his dogs and When he talks about his act, he always refers to it as we. And I love it because it's really a group act. You know, it's him and Scooby or him and Scooby 2, his other dog, Percy. So I just, I fell in love with Christian. Sorry, Josh.
0: I'm out.
1: (laughs) You're out. Scooby and Scooby and Percy are in, and Christian, I guess.
0: I know. We have to really work on Indy, our German Shepherd, (laughs) his, his handstand skills.
1: Yeah, you know, I felt good about Indy being able to sit and stay and do down and now i feel like he's really behind <laughs> behind in his dog training maybe we should try to make indy jump through a hoop mm. a fire
0: yeah we'll, we'll build up to the
1: fire <laughs> well i hope you enjoy our our interview with christian
0: but before you enjoy it please go on facebook share us with your friends uh, go on itunes rate the show The number one and two best ways of helping us continue to do this,
1: or you can enjoy it and then do all of that too.
0: On with today's episode featuring Christian Stoynev. My first question for you, Christian, is how did you get involved with the circus in the first place?
2: Well, uh, for me, circus was there from the get go when I was born. Both of my parents were in the circus. Um, obviously, from my mom's side, I'm a fifth generation circus performer now, uh, and my dad actually. My grandpa on my dad's side used to drive, like, trucks for circuses. So he wasn't a circus performer, but that's kind of how my dad knew anything of circus. And um, so both of my parents were circus performers. They met in the circus. And I was born in Sarasota, Florida. And my parents were actually with Ringling, uh, with Ringling Brothers at the time. And then from there, they went to Mexico. And um, so I was born in Sarasota, and then I was in Mexico until I was about uh, seven years old. And my parents were performing there on our family circus. And that's actually where I made my performing debut when I was five years old. Um, I was part of my dad's unsupported ladder act. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where I got started uh, at the age of five. And then when I was seven, um, my dad um, and the teeter board troop that he was on, they also did a Russian bar act and they got a deal to kind of, I guess, bring the band back together. So uh, they all decided to do that and to come to the States again. So we were on the George garden show for about a year. And then after that, it, they got the contract to go to the big apple circus. And that's when um, the, the troop went to big apple. And I think after that season, everybody just kind of split and went their own ways. A lot of people remained and st- stayed with big apple, whether it was ushering or, um Andre for example was performing um and so everybody kind of stayed uh not everybody but a lot of the people did and uh we were one of those people and we ended up being on the Big Apple show for 10 years until I was 17 and um and yeah and then after that I went off to college and I was very lucky that the university I went to had a circus program uh which I really kind of just compare it to uh, kind of how college athletes will get scholarships to play football or play basketball. Mine was to do circus. So I went to Illinois State University. I didn't think I was going to go to college in in Illinois at all. Um, I remember at the time thinking, like, no way. My options were mainly all Florida schools. And I was like, the weather's nice there. I'll be in Florida but um, yeah, the circus program uh, kind of just uh, did it all for me, and then I went for my visit, and I still wasn't sure if I was gonna go there. But after the visit, it was kind of like a no-brainer. Everyone was just welcomed me in with open arms, and they were really excited to have me there. And um, it just would have seemed like a big letdown if I didn't go there. And uh, obviously, they had put in the director at the time. His name was Al Light, and uh, he kind of did everything in his power to get me there. So um it was just uh it was just, it just felt it just felt right and honestly up to this point i'm 24 years old now and i can say that's my best vision of my life was going to school and going to school at did state university so um that's kind of a quick little uh life story i guess up to where i am now
0: was there a point when you were a teenager or maybe before a teenager where you were like oh i hate that my parents are in the circus i don't want to be doing this at all it's such a drag No, I
2: never was like, I hate being in the circus, but there was one thing I always, I was that kid that whether it was between shows or whether it was early in the morning or late at night had either a basketball or a football in my hand. Hmm. Um, You know, I, I perform and I love performing and it's definitely a passion, but my true passion deep down in my heart is for basketball and probably football as well, so if there was something that, I guess, not, not even a, regret, but growing up, I definitely wish I had the opportunity to play um, like a football team, my basketball team. Um, I just think that, I don't know. I was that kid. Like I could have seen myself becoming an NFL player and those people that would, you know, usually an NFL player and all these people that know they're a kid for years are like, yeah, he always had a football in his hand since he was 12 years old. That's like how I was like, I was just really passionate about it. It could have been snowing outside and I would have been out there like being that annoying little 10 year old asking a grown man to play catch with me or something. And that was me. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I never like thought like, Oh, I hate being in the circus or anything, but I definitely did think to myself, like, I wish I could be in a public school where I could be on a sports team and not traveling. Um, because. I really had that passion. So, I mean, I always tried to play. I remember we were on the Big Apple show. It would be snowing, and I would go to, like, um, the buildings right next to Lincoln Center and just go out there and play basketball. And it was, like, snowing outside. And, like, my parents would be like, you're going to get sick. Like, what are you doing? And I just, like, I don't know. I just had that love for it where, um, I mean, I have the same love for performing. But I definitely remember when I was younger sometimes, like, Pretend my wrist hurt so that I wouldn't have to practice that thing or something. Like, um, I remember those days as well. So it's funny now, though, because my brother, he's 16 years old and he juggles. And sometimes he'll be like, oh, my stomach hurts. And I won't say anything. And then when my parents are at the house, I'm just like, that was a good one. And he like doesn't want to admit it to me. But it's like, I've been there. I know what you're doing. So it's really funny.
0: Were your parents your coaches when you were growing up?
2: Uh, so,
0: yeah. go.
2: In my early ages, like, up, to, I was about 10, I would say my dad was mainly the one coaching me, whether it was, obviously, when you're, when you're a circus kid, you know a little bit of everything, whether it's juggling or um, walking the tight wire or whatever it may be. So, my dad was the main coach uh, when I was 10, and I started doing handstands. My dad was my coach for that, that first year, just kind of teaching me handstands and stuff. But... My dad had never done handstands in his life, Uh, and uh, there was a man, Vladimir, who uh, became my first coach. Um, My dad, I remember, asked him if he could help me because he knew what he was doing, obviously. And so that first year that you learn the basics and you learn to hold a good handstand and all that, um, most of the credit was for him, like to him. He's the one who helped me. Um, And then Vladimir left, so then it was probably like a year where no one was there, that was coaching me. So my dad would be there. Um, and then I had another coach. His name was L, who, uh, kind of started teaching me more like the one arms and those kind of things. And, um, same thing. He was there for probably for a couple years. And then after that he left. And then, uh, when the Leah Z trio was there and they did it, I don't know if you would remember, but they did a hand bouncing. I think they used to have like dreads, uh, was their like, look, their hair. And, um, omar uh in francisco they helped me a lot too for a year and then after that when i was about 16 maybe even 15 um i was kind of my point uh, i mean my dad would watch over me and stuff but obviously once i knew once i was trying like one-arm tricks and stuff even my dad i think could tell like a lot of what he was telling me would be his opinion not really you know, anything <laughs> he did growing up so um so yeah from that point on i was just kind of on my own and uh And I mean, yeah, that's kind of how most of my tricks that I do now are just kind of on my own, just playing around and um, I don't know, just trying that. But the basics, I definitely credit to all my coaches that I had and my dad as well.
1: So for people that don't know, can you describe the act that you do now? And then I want to hear the story about how you like created that act and how it became something with your dog.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, what I do now, it's really hard to describe, and I feel much more comfortable describing it on this podcast than I would to a stranger, because when somebody asks me what I do for a living, and I say handstands with a chihuahua, it (laughs) kind of sounds like a big joke. It does.
1: um,
2: Yeah, so, the act with Scooby, um, which by the way, is still called Christian and Scooby, but Scooby has been retired for about almost a year now um Scooby. he's 13 years old so he's a little bit older and his reflexes are slower so i just felt like it was time to let him just be a free-flowing dog and do what he wants and live off his pension for the last couple of years but, um yeah so the act started when i was i think i was like 12 First, I wanted a pet because obviously in the circus life, a lot of times it really just depends on uh, whether the other performers have kids and if those kids are your age or not. But some years you're stuck being the only kid your age and not really having anyone to play with or do anything with. And uh, We weren't chasing the little fantasy Pokemon at that time. So um, for me, I just kind of wanted to, uh, to have a, a pet, um, a companion, I guess. So my parents got me Scooby. Um, for me, it was just my pet. It was just my dog and someone I would play with. And we would obviously, I would like make them do little tricks like sit and try to lay down and things like that. And, but the one thing always, and with my dogs, I have three of them now. And uh, they all pretty much do this. When I would lay, when I, like, lay on my back, they all kind of like, they'll just like lay on my stomach or lay on my mm-hmm. chest. And then Scooby did that. And I would re- turn around to like reach for the remote. And he would kind of like crawl on me and walk on me. And my dad would be like, turn the other way. And then he would just like stay on me. He wouldn't jump off of me. And um, so little by little, like that kind of started. Then obviously I could do like some circus tricks and stuff. So my dad would be like, roll, like do a front roll and see if he jumps off. And then like he would just kind of still crawl on me. <laughs> and so little by little, it, st- it got started. Um, and then the, I think the, the point where it clicked and we were like, all right, this is going to be an act. It was because there was a newspaper that came, I forget where we were, we might have been in Queens, um, and they came to shoot uh, like the circus tent being raised. And that was like their headline story. And while they were raising the tent, I was practicing outside and I had Scooby with me. And then we did like this trick where he like walks around my neck. And um, I think we maybe did the rolls. I don't remember, but overall the next day when the article came out like there was a picture of the circus tent being raised but then there was also a picture of me with scooby around my neck and so like that kind of got a little like attention and so from there was kind of like oh we may have something here um and then that's kind of where it clicked and we were like all right let's roll with it and see what we can do and from there it just started and obviously like the act has evolved back then like, I didn't do a handstand with him on my feet. I did a headstand with him on my feet. And uh, eventually, it just developed and became what it was. And uh, so, yeah, that's how that got started. I kind of give the credit to Scooby. That's why I, <laughs> I fight the battle all the time. Because I want to keep calling it Christian and Scooby to give Scooby credit. But I also want people to know that, like, the dog I'm working with now is Percy. And so, it's kind of one of those challenges where I'm like, I don't know what to do. But, right. yeah. Like
1: enough, percy's, percy's stage name is scooby <laughs> yes,
0: I yeah it's like what would they like for rintintin Tin and for lassie there's like five or six <laughs> of them and the original one is the is the true lassie but they're all there are a few of them
1: but so how do you train percy because it seems like scooby just started doing it how do you train the new dog to do the tricks that scooby did with you
2: right um so, with Percy, actually, um, I would say it was more of a challenge because with Percy, there's like a goal in mind, obviously. So, once once I got Percy, the goal was he was going to, you know, do the tricks and replace Scooby. So, it was harder because you have a goal in mind. So, it's not like anything he learns is a surprise right. and you're <laughs> like, surprise, you know, your patience is a little less. But the one thing is that... Um, I I just knew, I mean, obviously from the get go with Percy, it was all, I wanted to train him in a sense, the same way that I did with Scooby, which was just kind of like treating it as a game and we would play around and um, like sometimes even, it's just crazy because they all have different personalities and so the first thing and most important thing I would say, I don't even call myself like a dog trainer, I just like, but I do think that if there's anything I can attest to is that you have to get to know them first. You can't just like train any dog the same way. And so with Percy, um, we, my parents got him when I was still in college, actually. And they were in Mexico and he, I think he was like a month or two old. And Percy's a much, much more like timid and scared and shy dog than Scooby ever was. Like, if Scooby walks into a crowd of people, He his tail's wagging and he wants to meet everybody. And Percy is probably the exact opposite. If he walks and there's a crowd of people, he'll walk away or he'll kind of hide in a corner. And oh no. so I'm not sure why he's like that. Like, he's always been like that from the beginning. So the first thing with me with him was just making sure he was comfortable and for him to understand that, like, we're his support system. And so once we got through that... Um, And that just goes through everything, through feeding him, through taking him out, through baths, whatever it may be. Um, But it definitely took more of an adjustment period for him to be, like, comfortable. I don't know if before we got him, he was being passed around between different families or what happened. But um, either way, it's just a different kind of patience with him. Um, Like, a lot of times, like, if he messes up something in the show, um, like, one time he... uh, So in my act, I have this little bin and that's where the dog is until he pops out of the bin. Um, One time he got scared because someone was in the audience uh, making noise that was unusual for him. And he didn't want to come out of the bin. So I had to go and open the bin for him to come out and he was scared to come out. And so from there, it's like the next show, um, like... (laughs) In the middle, It's not kind of like I had to not sacrifice a show, but literally during the middle of the show when he came out of the bin I took like it was quick maybe like five seconds I would just play with him. Like I just like move my hands around like we would play in the house and people were probably like What is this guy doing? I don't even know. Maybe it was too fast for them to notice, but I Like literally just played with him and his tail was wagging and he was like, I don't know I don't know. How to explain. You know how dogs do where they like put their like front downward and they start like playing like they're chasing a ball Yes like, so I did that for like five seconds, just so he was like back into his comfort zone, like, all right, we're playing. And so a lot of the times it just depends. Like here where we're performing this summer, we're outside, we're outdoors. So um, sometimes like um, hit, like a couple of shows although there was like a wind, like a breeze, and it opened the like bin on its own when he wasn't supposed to come out yet. and So he came out. And then I had to, like, put him back in there and, like, put the lid over it. And then then he was, like, scared to come out again. And so it's kind of the same thing. Like, just the next time he does it, like, you just, like, exaggerate the playfulness and just, like, let him know, like, we're playing, we're playing. And so it's kind of one of those things. With Scooby, I never had to do that. Like, with Scooby, if I just, like, um, like said something, like a quick command, like right away he's like, all right, we're back into this. With Percy, like he gets confused and he might get a little like timid and shy and he's not <laughs> Aww, sure what's going Percy. on. And so it's just a difference. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I don't know, I think that's one of the best parts about it is just learning about myself too. Like I can't, with with Percy, there's not like literally, any, if, he, if something goes wrong in the show, I just have to make him repeat it after work and even, almost act like excited, like excited exaggerate my excitement when he, when he does it just so he gets back into this comfort zone. <laughs> oh. It's just different.
1: Well, my sister is not in circus at all, but she mm-hmm. is a huge fan of yours and it's going to be so jealous that we're talking to you today, but oh, she you. found you through, you know, America's got talent. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize that you had auditioned when you were 15 prior to this past time.
2: Yeah. Um, I think I was 14. Oh, you're 14. So when I was 14, that first experience, uh, it was good. I went, I did the audition uh, with Scooby. And we got through to the callbacks, which were in Vegas. And at the time, we had, uh, um, at the time, I think we had Prince already, who's like our second dog. And he was just a baby. And this bigger dog, like, went after him. And so Scooby ran out to protect Prince and Scooby got bit. And so he got like a huge, like opening by his leg Aww. and it was actually super scary. We like rushed him to the vet and like the lady at the like veterinary office was like closing it up already. And we like ran over there with him. She, she was kind to take him in and um, stitch him up. Uh, but it was still really scary um, for the next couple days if, there was any blood in his urine we were we would have had to put Scooby to sleep and so it was a really scary time and then also that callback that we had for ADT was like two days later and I remember because I thought it was so weird that, that the very next day after he got stitched up Scooby like did not move he just laid in his bed and he didn't do anything and it just seemed like I don't know. He just was not himself. And then literally the very next day, he was like back to normal and he was still stitched up, but he was good and he was walking around and like everything was back to normal. And we still just had to watch and make sure that obviously there was no blood in his urine. And um, at the time I remember, well, I had to call back and I didn't know what to do. The routine we, we had planned to do was obviously with Scooby. And I just... Uh, I mean, he had stitches on, so we weren't going to perform with him having stitches and stuff, even though he seemed back to normal. So that's where we got cut that first time we went on the show. Um, I ended up just doing a solo routine, which I remember at the time, actually, I was, like, really happy about myself because I I didn't mess up, and at the time, uh, like, my hand-balancing skills weren't that good. And uh, so I was really happy with how that turned out. But then, I, I mean, obviously, we were cut right there, so... Um, That ended shortly, and then this time around, uh, on the ninth season of America's Got Talent that I was on, I had just graduated from college, and I really didn't have much going on. Um, I was doing halftime shows and uh, random things here and there, and uh, they saw the video from YouTube, and they wanted me to go out there and audition. And in my head, I was kind of like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. I have nothing to lose. If anything, though, I don't want to start right away with the dog. I want to, I feel like at this point, I'm put a, a fan balancer to get through the first round on my own. And so that's what I did for the audition. I went up there. I um, i did the audition by myself. And obviously, great. all the judges said yes to me. And they brought me back to the New York callback. Um, and then that callback was That callback was of intense. It was a week of kind of, you know, hurry up and wait. And we were, I mean, I was pretty stressed out. It was the first time I was introducing Scooby. And so obviously it was a big one. If you got through here, you went to the live shows, which meant the people could vote. And for me personally, it would have been further than I had done the, the time before. And so it meant, that one meant a lot to me. And so that was really strenuous you pretty much just i don't know if they told the judges to kind of keep a cold face or what but i remember that we did the routine and they were all kind of like they asked a the question i don't remember what it was and then they were just like okay well thanks for coming and it was just kind of cold and i don't know i had this like i was like i don't know if they like this to every act or what's going on but and then like the next day is when they have had the result And, um, yeah, and then it really hit me. Once, like, they told us we were going to the live shows, obviously, that just changes everything. Um, You know, I've seen a little bit of this season, and uh, right now they're doing that part. And I, like, can still, like, relate, and I still get goosebumps when I hear some of these people getting through because I know that feeling where it's just, like, it's not, like, a feeling of you made it because you still have to prepare for something else, but it's kind of like, man, like, you really made it. Like, now you're, like, in the live shows. Like, people can vote it's not just based on four people's opinion at this point. And mm-hmm. so, um, I don't know, that was a great feeling. The quarter-final um, in, uh, in Radio City Music Hall was, to this point, I would say, my best performance of my life. It was just, everything was perfect. Um, Scooby was perfect. He uh, he was already a little bit older at that point. He He was 12. Um, or maybe he was 11 and um, I remember too he does this handstand at the end where he walks on his front two paws and um, he started not doing that for a while already because he was a little older so I could he just I don't know like when we would work at events or certain things he would just kind of maybe do two steps and come down and just go in the bin and not really like worry about doing it anymore and I wasn't going to make him do it over and over again because I'm like he's getting older like it's fine like Um, and even like on an AGT, like it's almost like he sensed the moment and he was like, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to turn up for this. Like I'm going to do it here. So like, I remember just like seeing him go and I was like, oh my God, like it was just awesome. It was the perfect ending. Like he did it the whole way to the bin. And it was just one of those things that, um, yeah, I just remember at that point that was like. I left it all out there for that performance. At that point, I had no new tricks. Had I moved on, uh, but I was in this like mind, like mind frame of just being like, you know what? I'm gonna go at this quarterfinal and give it everything I have. If I make it, then I had the. I just had the performance of my life. And even if I bomb the semifinals, like I'll always have this quarterfinals performance to have with me. And so I just went out there and didn't even think about another round. In the previous rounds, I did obviously. I was kind of saving some tricks and being like, if I make it, what else will I do? But at this point, where it was the first live show, I just kind of was like, all right, like, you know, I'm a, my personal opinion is that uh, variety acts are at a disadvantage, um, not purposely. Like, I don't think they're purposely at a disadvantage, but you know, a lot of people maybe like sing in the shower or go to nightclubs and sing or even just when they're in their car, they're singing, so they can relate to singing, um, you know, they can relate to a lot of um, musical acts, but when it comes to, like, an act like mine, like, I don't think everyone tries a handstand every day, or even every month, for that matter, you know, it's not something that people know how difficult it is, or even for magicians, or even for, uh, like, magicians that use slide of hand, like, no one is... You know, people may play card games when they're drinking or something, but they don't, they're not over there working on their sleight of hand tricks. You know, things like that that I just feel like people don't relate to and understand how difficult that may be. Um, and so, so it's just its nature of the beast. And so for me, like I said, that quarterfinals performance, I was like, you know what, I'll give it my all. Hope it goes great. If I make it, then wonderful. And I'll cross that bridge when I get there, even though at this point I'm out of tricks. So I was like, well, I'll figure it out later. Um, and like I said, so that was the performance of my life. That was, uh, um, it was with Scooby and it was just perfect. And, um, obviously the judges loved it. Everyone gave us a standing ovation in Radio city. It was very memorable. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So then we made it to the semifinals. I had like two weeks to prepare. So there's not really any new tricks I can learn in two weeks. So I didn't know what I was going to do, but I did spend, uh, like I actually, had an apartment in Florida at that time that the lease was expiring. So I I flew home to Florida, uh, grabbed all my stuff, put it in my car, and drove up to Illinois. So that took up like the first two days of those two weeks. And then I spent 10 straight days pretty much practicing um, this new trick, which was pretty much me doing the handstand with the doll on my feet and then walking across some pegs. Um, And that was very challenging. I remember just practicing for that. Uh, I was so stressed and nervous because I, I just, it was something brand new. It was something I had never done before, even without Scooby. And, um, and so for the semifinals, I did that and I wanted to introduce Percy as well. Um, just so I could have like kind of a different kind of ending. And I remember that performance actually pretty much bombed. Like it did not go well, um, not because of me, like I, or us, like, we nailed our routine and we did everything how we wanted to do it, but I kind of had this feeling that the people weren't going to be able to relate and understand that, um, that trick was something completely different from what I had been doing. And, um, I think only another hand balancer maybe would understand. And so it it was one of those things where I just, I I was proud. I was happy with what we did. And, um, I, I kind of knew at this point, like there's only so much I could do. So I was okay with it. And Um, It really felt like that was the end of the ride, and then the results show was the next day, and I remember at the results, um, so there's like 12 acts in the first, so the top six move on, but whoever's placed in like the fifth, sixth, and seventh spot uh, get called up for what's called the Snapple save, and they get called up at the beginning of the results show, and then there's a half an hour while the other acts are being revealed where people are voting online to see which one of these three will get to. And so they vote for one act. And so during that time, I remember it was just so intense and so anxious. And the fact that I was called for the Snapple save, I remember being super surprised. Like, oh my God, like this means two of those three acts move on. So I was like, I have like a 65 66 60% chance of moving on. So I was already pumped. Like I was like, this is better than I even thought. I thought I was going to be out for sure. So... Uh, the Snapple save went to an act called Blue Journey. And um, so then after that, it was up to me and Smoothini, who's a magician. And it was between me and him. And the judges picked which one of the two acts would advance to the finals. And they picked me. And, again, it was just pretty, uh, like, emotions were just running everywhere that whole run. So that was pretty awesome, pretty intense. And I'm back home at my university, They had, like, a watch party going on for me. And so I just remember, like, when I was standing there and the judges were talking, I remember thinking to myself how badly I wanted to hear my name called because I wanted, like, that party to erupt in happiness. And that's what I was thinking about. And um, I'll never forget that. And so that was pretty cool. And then, obviously, then at that point, then we were in the top 12 finals. And uh, at that point, I just – the judges had criticized me in the semifinals for using the dogs too much. So at this point, I, I was like, all right, I'm gonna just go out and put on a solo, pretty much a solo routine, doing hand balancing, and um, again, it was difficult for me, but it was also one of the, the easiest routine because it was just all me. So if I mess up, like you know, it's fine if I mess up; it's not a big deal. I just, um, I didn't want to like mess up with the dog, and that was always that's always been my like top priority, even when I perform. Um, it was just anytime I'm with, um, whether it's Scooby or Percy, I just want to make sure that I'm super focused with them. And so with me, that routine was probably stress wise, the easiest. I kind of had nothing to literally nothing to lose at this point. I was like, I'm putting on a pretty difficult handstand routine about like, like that I'm about to do. And, um, if I nail it wonderful. And if I don't, it was difficult. And, um, that's why, you know, I, I there's, I just remember that whole run, working as hard as I can, being in the hotel and going to work out at the gym at like midnight just because I was like, and even stretching. I hate stretch ever because I remember being myself, I don't want to look back later and be like, oh, maybe you would have advanced had you done this. And so I made sure I didn't give myself that thought because every time I thought of doing something, whether it was stretching or working out, I did it just to make sure I never looked back and like regretted not doing it. And so... Um, Overall, it was just an unbelievable experience, the greatest experience I've had.
0: I want to ask you about something you said a little earlier about why going to college was one of the best decisions you made. I certainly feel that way when I was 18 and torn between going to circus school or going to a regular university, Um, but I want to know why you feel that way. Well,
2: first of all, for me, I I got to stay in shape circus-wise and keep doing circus because I was lucky enough that the university had this program. But, um, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one, like the first one that's coming up in my, in my mind is that, uh, um, you know, in circus, it's so hard. Like, it's not hard, Like you make, you make lifelong friends in the circus community, but it's very hard to like keep those friendships as close, I would say. And maybe I'm still too young to have any say in that, but like when I was younger, like I would have have a friend that, you know, I would know for a year and it felt like, oh this is the greatest thing and then unfortunately like it's no one's fault but, you know, someone goes to Asia to work and you go to Europe to perform and eventually you just kind of, you know, meet other people and that's the greatest thing about circus is that, you know, that you learn so many different cultures and you get to meet so many people. But I'm one of those people that um likes to have those, you know, number one people in my life too. And going to college felt like I actually grew up with people. Like that's where I feel like I've made my lifelong friends, even to this day. Like my best, my best friend is Cornell and he does a German wheel act and he does cruise ship contracts. You know, I graduated from college two years ago and me and him are still as, as close, if not closer now. My best woman friend, Christina just visited me here at the Dells and, um, we actually were laughing about it because someone was like, how long have you known Christian? And she was like, wow, seven years. And so it's just one of those things. It's like, in all those seven years, like we've seen each other, we've grown each other, we grown with each other. Like, um, I think that was really special. And I mean, obviously aside from the obvious, which is just kind of seeing a different side, a different perspective of life. than um, then you would just growing up in the circus too. Um, it just really opened up my mind. Um, I'd say it made me, uh, not, not hungrier, but maybe, maybe uh, like more of a dreamer, if that's a way to put it. It's just like ambitious for bigger things, I would say maybe.
1: So you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but what do you want for your next steps in your career?
2: I've been pretty busy lately in the fall, obviously doing halftime shows. And then now I'm here at the Delta this summer, but, um, between that time, like I, I did a commercial for like uh, Country Financial and um, little random TV stuff here and there, and I really like doing that. I really like being on camera. I went to college and got my degree in broadcast journalism, so um, it's still something I plan on using. Um, hopefully, with a basketball team down the road, uh, I would love to be like a play-by-play guy for an NBA team. That's the ultimate dream, um, but. Um, I want to go to LA. I, I feel like there's a lot more TV opportunities out there. Uh, there's a lot, uh, uh, a lot to learn, a lot to see, um, and I just think that it would be good for me. To hopefully, open up that uh, TV career a little bit more. Um, you know, be closer to where all that is happening. So when I do have, have a couple days off and I'm not uh, performing and I'm just at home maybe I could go to a couple auditions or meet somebody that's in the industry and can give me some um, good advice or anything like that where uh, as at home, like where my parents live also um, I don't really have have much of that option there so um, it just felt right I wanted to move and take a chance and do something random like that for a while and uh, it just felt like the right time I'm only getting older so I was like right now while I don't have, you know wife or a girlfriend or kids, this is the right time. And, um, it's kind of one of those things where that, you know, I mean, what I have to lose sure the money for rent, but whatever, like money is money. The experience is, you know, um, the experience is if I, if I had the luxury of being able to take that chance and that leap of faith, then um, I should be thankful that I have that opportunity and um, take it. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm very excited, though. I'm, I'm pretty pumped. I can't wait.
1: It is, and now everyone knows you're single, so So watch out for ladies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we we like to wrap up the podcast with uh, two questions that we usually ask every guest. Uh, But my first question is, is there a circus show that you would recommend people see who are either aspiring circus artists or sort of just getting into circus?
2: Uh, I'm actually a huge fan of Cirque. Um, Not... Necessarily for, I don't know how to put this, not necessarily for the shows themselves, because I, I think the shows are awesome, but there are also some shows that are very out of what I'm used to seeing that is just completely different from maybe the stereotypical vision of circus that a lot of us have. But I'm a huge fan of, of circ for evolving, for kind of moving with the times and I think it's one of those very important things where I think tradition is important to a certain extent but at the same time I'm a huge believer that you know times move on like people need to we need to adjust to the times like um like a simple okay a simple example is like cell phones I remember when I was a kid um it was like oh the smaller your cell phone is the cooler it is and then now it's like I feel like the opposite now people carry around like laptop looking things and it's like that's their (laughs) cell phone and I'm sure soon the trend will go the other way and it'll come back to the smallest thing the coolest thing I don't know but it's part of the trend and I think that Cirque does a wonderful and an awesome job of moving with the times obviously I mean they have the luxury to be able to compare to like maybe a mud show or something like that but um, I just really respect that I respect that they're not scared of taking that risk they're not scared of taking the chance to evolve and to try something new. And, you know, I think everybody that has grown up within the circus is saddened at the fact that like elephants aren't allowed to be in the circus anymore and animals have always been a part of the circus. But I, I don't, I'm one that doesn't see that as a completely terrible thing. Like maybe it's just time and it's time that we like, you know, circus goes away from the animals. And maybe in 30 years, You know, people are going to be like, oh, we miss the animals, and they'll come back around. I just think it's a trend, and people need to – sometimes we can be a little bit stubborn and, you know, claim like, no, this is the way it has to be, and this is how it has to go because it's always been this way. But sometimes it's not a bad thing to go away from it, and it comes full circle. And so if there's a show I'd recommend people seeing, it's – uh, Cirque, um or even the other shows that aren't Turk that um, I was just in Vegas, uh, like, less than a year ago, and I remember um, I saw Ka, and I have a couple friends on that show, and then I also saw La Rev, and La Rev is not a Cirque show, I believe, but it was awesome, it's like with water, and it was just different, and it, like, involved circus skills, but it wasn't what you would think of at all of, of a circus, and to me, like, at least I'm, I'm saying that stereotypically because in my head, that is what I think of as circus because in my head, that's the evolution of circus. And so for me, uh, if I was to recommend someone to see a circus show, in my head, it would be like LaRev. Go see LaRev. That, in my head, is a circus show. I don't think circus has to be like One Ring and Elephants. And I think it can evolve. And I think with shows like LaRev and stuff, it has evolved. And it'll come back around, but I'm just a firm, firm believer in in that um, we have to keep up with the trend because if we stay stubborn, then we're gonna kill out, kill, kill the art form. And so um, I'm sure a lot of people probably will disagree with me, but um, you know that's fine. I, I, I respect um, the people who do believe in that as well, and I see where they're coming from. But that's just me as a young adult, as a 24 year old uh, that wants to see circus seen as what it is and as the art form that it truly is and respected uh for all the hard work that many have paved the way for us i want to see it respected and that's the way i think it is respected
0: i think that's that's a really great answer um so final question who else do you think we should interview on our podcast in the circus world
2: I mean, at least for me, like when I work on a show like this, uh, or any other show that there's like crew people, I love to get the crew's perspective on things, you know? I, I'm a very, I'm one of those that, a quick story I'll tell you. My, between my freshman and sophomore year of college, that summer I went home and I was in Mexico with my family. And my parents, um, they were like, do you want a job? And I was like, yeah, like I'll work to make some extra money. And, they put me as a crew guy, like just as a crew guy on the circus. And it was probably like the most, maybe the most important lesson and side of things I had learned because I was a guy, you know, scooping up the elephant poop and the horse poop. And it taught me such a valuable lesson. Again, I'm never ashamed to say that because it made me appreciate what those people do so much. And they are so many times overlooked and, I think an important thing with circus or even as entertainment is that everybody has their, to do their job for it to look good. You know, like there has to be someone opening that curtain for you to be seen behind the curtain. And, um, that just taught me an important lesson. And it just really humbled me. And it just really, um, to this day, I, I respect whoever's the crew, whoever's moving my props, whoever's setting my props, like, uh, I don't overlook those people. They're very important as well, and they have a story to be heard also. And so that um, that just was kind of a good lesson for me to learn, and it made me appreciate that a lot. So I don't know. I'm just if I think of something or someone over these next couple hours, I'll I'll write I'll write you and let you know. But I'm a, I think different perspectives of of the of the industry are pretty cool. Like whether it's a director or all the way down to the crew guys. Like I think they all have a unique story to be told.
0: Well, Christian, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It was really fantastic talking to you. Yeah, no
2: problem, man. This was fun. Thanks for having me. If you ever need a surprise guest, hit me up again.
0: That was our interview with Christian Stoynev.
1: Hope you enjoyed it.
0: If you did, please go on iTunes, rate us, leave us a comment, or share the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Periscope, Pokemon Go. (laughs) Have a great week, everybody.
1: Bye.